Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Office Hours, episode 135. 35 is one of my favorite numbers. Uh, it's the number worn by the great Frank Thomas of the Chicago White Sox. Um, so little little trivia there. Uh, I hope you are all having a wonderful day. We are here for pre-med office hours to answer your questions live. I'm with a small contingent of the advising team. Courtney Lewis, former director of admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine, our newest advisor. How are you doing, Courtney? I like good. The sun is out in Seattle, and what? that equals what? a really great day. <laughs> Give it five minutes. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it will come in. Uh, don't don't I, hurt on my dream, okay? I'm really okay. enjoying this. All right, right now. all right. Well, that's why they have the space needle, so you can get up above the clouds, right? Yeah, well, I'm of looking course. right at it. <laughs> I was staring at you the other day because I went up to the space needle. I'm like, Courtney lives somewhere around here. Oh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's right there. There it is. There it is. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool little area. Uh, all yeah. of the museums there, the stadium yeah. there, the Space Needle there. I, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, I feel your energy in the area. I didn't know where you were, but I knew you were around. Uh, yeah, I just feel like if you're going to move to a new city and you've got the means to move right into the thick of it like you did, that it's such a great way to experience a new place. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the traffic up here is just atrocious. So anytime you could cut down on commute and make things convenient. Mm hmm. Good. Yeah, cities are better when you can walk for yeah. sure. Yep. 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 Uh, Rachel Grubbs, co founder here at Mapped and uh, test prep MCAT expert for 20 or so years. How you doing? I'm great. The sun's out here too, which, um, you know, I'm fine with. <laughs> Somebody told me today is like the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Um, I like winter, but I do also like getting more light. So I'm I'm excited about our days getting longer. Okay, okay, nice. Well, two longer days. Uh, that just gives us more time to answer questions, which is what we're here for. Right, so, that's how that works. Let's rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, appetizers and sushi my letters of recommendations are from a physician to science professors I'm a non-traditional student I graduated five years ago but took my science prereqs it's very noisy upstairs sorry if you hear that Um, took my science prereqs in the past two years is that okay (sighs) Courtney uh, as the the most recent former director of admissions when uh, your school set, or if you've had conversations with other directors of admissions, when you set kind of your rules on what letters of recommendations you want, mm-hmm. how flexible are you for students like this? For, for non-trads, there may be a little bit of flexibility, but generally there will be a time frame in which we call you a non-trad. It's not just I've been out of school for one or two years. It's generally three or more. And then we'll allow for supervisors. But getting letters of recommendation from two science professors and a physician, it sounds like, you know, 
you're you're a good chunk of the way there. Generally, it's hard to get two science professors. Am I just reading this wrong? Yeah, no, I think I think the concern is that there's no non-science professor, which is the standard yeah. rule of thumb. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, a school by school, <laughs> unfortunately. It's a school by school, yeah, and in two years, some may consider that non-traditional or or a long enough time period to which they'll allow you some, but I I would caution in asking for too many um you know give me leeway on this or or expectations on that try mm -hmm. your best to meet the actual requirements because as as best we can we are going to hold tight to those requirements and everybody has to meet those generally there's only one or two things that we can even go into a gray area and that has to be standardized across the board so if we do it for one person we have to allow it for everybody in that circumstance and so um that's you know as frustrating as it may seem again it's to it's to be fair and equitable across the board no one is getting you know anything that that somebody else wouldn't get. And so that's why we have to hold to it. Um, so. Yep. So lots of uh, phone calls and emails in your future appetizers mm -hmm. and sushi, um, because it's just, it's a school by school. I know at least one school, Sam Houston state. I love uh, that they specifically mention on their website. If you've been out of school for more than a year, then you can, you can use alternative letters. So I, I wish I, yeah, I keep coming back to, I just wish schools were more transparent, like put that on your website because then it's, it's in writing. And, and if you want to put case by case, then you're covering your butt um, for, for other kind of opportunities that, that may arise. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, it's just going to be a school by school base um, decision. Yep. There's a lot of decision makers usually in that uh, conversation. I can tell you, you can <laughs> you can logic it all you want um, <laughs> and want to be as transparent as possible. But, um, you know. The more granular you get or the more detail you provide, sometimes it, it just becomes a little bit convoluted, either on the back end or, you yeah. know, but it is, it can be frustrating. Yeah. No, look at us. I like this view. This is one of my reviews. Uh, Wyatt asks, I went to Kenya for a volunteer trip. Jumbo, habariako. Uh, and I'm unsure on how to classify it. Should I put it under volunteer experience, shadowing? Some aspects were shadowing. We'll talk about it in my AMSA description. Um, so I'm assuming you went for AMSA. Um, yeah. Rachel? Yeah, uh, there's there's not a writer. Whoops, wrong. Man, I have this thing. I just really want to put Courtney on camera. Um, <laughs> uh, there's not a right or wrong answer here, Wyatt. Right? Um, many activities can be classified under different things, so you kind of have to make a choice in terms of where you think it fits best. And one of the ways that might help you make that decision is start to think about what the essay is going to look like. Start that rough draft, um, because if you um, don't have a lot of like volunteer experience stories and the things that are coming to mind are shadowing, then maybe it goes under shadowing. Often we don't even write essays for shadowing. Often the shadowing activity is the one place where instead of an essay, it's just a list of physicians. Um, and then again, you say, talk about it in my AMSA description. Again, we're not, I'm not sure what the context of that is. Maybe, maybe you went with AMSA, but so are you saying like, does it go under club or does it go under volunteer either? 
right? No, no rules and activities. So you pick the place you think it matches best and make sure that the essay you're writing is in line with the classification you pick. And so that might mean the essay comes first and the classification follows. Yep, yep. Julie asks, given the cost of applications, is it worth it for pre-med students to apply to private schools? Mm -hmm. My daughter will be applying this summer, but when she looks at the statistics for acceptance, dot, 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 is there a follow-up there? I don't see a follow-up there. Um, Um, So I'm assuming private schools for undergrad or private schools for medical school. Julie, um, Come come back with a little bit more clarification there. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to you. I, I'm assuming. Let's let's just f- finish that thought. I'm assuming because she's saying she's applying this summer, which is when applications open. So private schools for medical school, look, the acceptance rate for almost all medical schools is between like two and four percent. Right. They're all low. <laughs> Medical school is hard to get into. Um, the the average uh, acceptance rate across the board, if you try to aggregate all three application services, is about 50%. But if you look at a per school basis, again, it's about 2 to 4%. Schools get thousands of applications for 100, 200, maybe 250 seats. Mm-hmm. So um, the private public discussion is actually not one that we we talk about much in terms of when you're building your school list, you want to avoid the private schools. There are lots of private schools. There are lots of great private schools. Um, in terms of acceptance rates, I, I, I wouldn't say across the board that that private schools are harder to get into or easier to get into. Mm-hmm. I think what you what you may be seeing because public schools generally, it's it's not a, a hard and fast rule, but generally have some in-state bias. You're seeing students who are out of state applying to private schools because they know that getting into public out-of-state schools is going to be harder. And so maybe that's what you're seeing is a little bit of uh, decreased acceptance rates because of that, but I, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Uh, Courtney, you were at a private school. Did Yeah. Did, did you like, oh, why are people applying to us? We're a private school. No, I, w- I would say opposite. So yeah. um, when you're looking at these numbers, as, as Dr. Gray was saying, I think there's um, a lot of background information and, and you need to know exactly what they're pulling that number from. But a lot of the times private institutions have a lot more latitude in who they can accept and where they're coming from. And so if it's Um, you align with the mission, you feel like it's a good fit, and they accept out-of-state students, I would say absolutely keep that on your list and and don't rule that out, public versus private. There may be a little bit difference in in where the funding for the institution is coming from. However, um, great educations, I I would not rule them out. Yeah. Yeah, Julie asked this follow-up. So public out of state is harder than private. Again, we're talking generalities, mm-hmm. uh, a school by school specifics like University of Michigan, we always say is one that's about 50-50 in terms mm-hmm. of in-state, out of state, mm-hmm. even though it's a public institution. Here where I'm on faculty for a little bit longer, um, University of Colorado School of Medicine is uh, it's a public school, but I think the majority of students are out of state. Mm-hmm. I think you you have to look at the state that it's in, 
is it a super densely populated state? Colorado is not very densely populated. Um, and so there just probably aren't enough pre-meds to, to fill a full class of qualified pre-med students. And so they look out of state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just have to, it's one of the good reasons to use the MSAR, the, the medical school admissions requirements tool from the AAMC for the MD schools. The Choose DO Explorer, I don't think has that sort of specific in-state, out-of-state data. They they do. It's just on the individual pages. It's not in a in a pulled report. You can go to ACOM and I think that is included. Well, I don't know if it's on a school by school. So just slightly different reporting, but it is available in the Choose DO Explorer just on the pages. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to show the MSAR real quick? I, I don't think, I think the, it's helpful. The I don't think the AAMC will be mad. Uh, I'm telling people to go get it, so <laughs> uh, I'll show it real quick. I I have an account with them, uh, just to let people know. All right. So if we were to let me share my screen. I have to zoom out here. Uh, share screen. MSAR. So the MSAR tool. Here, if we want to look at let's let's look at Michigan just because I, I mentioned that one. Um, here, it's a public institution, right? So it lists here school type public, um, but they also accept out of state. But then the chart that I like to go to is way down here. If you scroll down, 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 underneath all this stuff, underneath the median data is this chart. So you can see 104 out of state and only 65 in state. So they actually, historically, I've always seen about 50-50. That's a big change. So Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the the best tables that I like to go to for all of the schools to, to see like where are they taking their students from? Yep. And that data, almost that exact same table is available on the Tuesday Explorer. You just go to the individual school pages. Very similar. Cool. And then just as always with any statistics, do not interpret last year's data for one cohort as the rule forever. It just gives you. It's not a, what are my chances? Right. Hopefully that was helpful. All right. Is it bad to double dip in activities? I shadowed a DO, but I also had a patient int. <laughs> patient. Are these things being cut off? I don't know. Uh, 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 let's say interaction. So, so yeah. let's let's potentially say this is someone who was a medical assistant, and part of being a medical assistant was the doctor allowed her to stay in the room after she did the patient uh, check in. Yeah. We talk a lot about not necessarily double dipping uh, in terms of hours, but splitting one activity into two categories. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a thousand total hours, maybe 900 is your medical assistant role and 100 is shadowing. That that is fine because you're not double dipping the activities, you're splitting one activity into two. Does that make sense, Sarah? Hopefully. Next question. Got one queued up for us. There we go. 
Hey there, I'm interested in a couple schools. However, my science GPA and cumulative GPA, even after my current postback, will not meet the lowest matriculation GPAs. All right, so let's go back to the MSAR, folks. <laughs> Peter, so lowest matriculation? Yeah. Are you conflating lowest with median? I think you might be. <laughs> so let's let's look at, at Michigan here where we had that pulled up. Again, this is from the AAMC, uh, AAMC friends, if you don't like us sharing this data. We're telling people to go buy the MSAR, so hopefully you're okay with this. Um, you're referring to this median data here, which is the big gray circle. Um, this, this lowest number here, 358, let me... Uh, and 349, the bottom one is science GPA, top one is cumulative. This is not lowest. This is 10th percentile. So 10th per, 10% of the class, Peter, is below that number. We don't know. This isn't a box and whisker where the whisker is the very lowest end. We don't know what that number is. And I hate it. I absolutely hate that, that the AMC and the medical schools don't provide a uh, a lowest, lowest, lowest. Um, again, transparency. I know why they don't. <laughs> I know why they don't, too. I know um, why they don't. <laughs> would you like to share, Courtney, why they don't? <laughs> well, I, let, here, I'll, I'll hypothesize. Um well, I'll, I'll give you one reason that a med school, I won't say which med school, uh, a med school told me why they don't um, at a conference that, that we were both at, Courtney, where we first met. Um, the, the, the rationale was that, oh, if we give the lowest uh, data, the, the lowest GPA, lowest MCAT, then students will know who that is. And I was like, um... I'm not even going to go there with with the assumption that yeah, you're that making. seems so rife with problems. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, okay, got it. Um, so so that was I'm like, yeah, I don't buy that. Um, but look, rules are made to be broken, except in in the legal courtroom. Exactly. Uh, and, and if you say the lowest GPA that we'll accept is a 3.0, and the best diamonds needle in the haystack whatever uh, analogy um metaphor you want to use uh comes through your doors is the the son or daughter of the dean of the school and they're at a 2.99 and you have this published information that says the lowest gpa that we'll take is a 3.0 and you go that's all right we'll accept them you're you're opening yourself up to lawsuits and med schools don't want to do that and I'm so if they don't publish it there's no rules uh, but then you also open yourself up to lawsuits like the University of Utah, which went through uh, a big lawsuit for subjective admissions criteria. So nobody nobody wins when lawyers are involved is the moral of the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if, if there is a published minimum and I've I've had to do something very similar to what you described um, in in turning people down that that are well connected and, you know, it's again, to keep it equitable, right? We, we don't go into gray areas when we use certain phrases like must have, needs to have. Um, my reason was actually different for not sharing the GPAs. Um, I don't wanna get a slap on the wrist, but sometimes um, 
you know, if you have a pathway program or something like that, GPAs may be a little bit different, but they may utilize the GPA from how somebody did in this pathway post-bac um, instead of the actual GPA. Um, and so that would really skew the number if yep. they were doing that. So sometimes um, certain criteria is still taken into the equation, but not reported, but it opens more questions sometimes if you if you put it out there, well, what's this? This is like a, a, a random here. It doesn't make any sense, but you just don't have enough information to go off of. It's gonna raise a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and, and there, circumstances kind of re regarding those types yeah. of things. And, and that I think immediately goes to the fact that this number here, and, and I say this all the time, is we don't, I, I think what you're going to a little bit, Courtney, is we don't have the story behind that number. Absolutely, yeah. Right? It, it, is it a 3.0 cumulative GPA where the first four years were a 2.0, but the last 60 credits are 4.0 right. and this student mm -hmm. has shown resilience. They've shown whatever they can show. And the med school is like, oh my gosh, this person is academically capable. Mm -hmm. They showed it during 60 credits of a post-bac yeah. and they overcame whatever they had to overcome because they obviously struggled early on for whatever their reasoning is. Mm -hmm. We're going to, it's not even taking a chance because they've already proven themselves. Yep. But the numbers that we report are not going to be super sexy, which is why I love the fact that so many medical schools are pulling out of U.S. News and World Reports yeah. um, because mm -hmm. th there's this like, oh, if, if we show that our average GPA of acceptance is lower, then that's going to look bad on us. I'm like, no, it doesn't look like anyway. It doesn't. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I just want to say we've made Peter very happy. Life has meaning again. It's the reason why we love the GPA calculator and the graphs inside of Mapped yeah. is it allows us to see that story. It's mm -hmm. not just one number. It's it's the lines. It's the graphs. It's it's showing us what happened here. And uh, somebody came to me yesterday. I was having a conversation with uh, an application academy student, and they said. Um, I, I'm worried about my GPA. My trends are a little bit down. I was 4.0 my first two years, but then physics really got me. Um, and I, I think my trends are okay. And I opened up her mapped account and it was like a three, eight GPA. Yeah. And, and yeah. you could see the trend line was 4.0, 4.0. So it was the very top of the, the graph. And then her junior year dipped down. There was one semester where it dipped down to 3.4. And then it, it climbed back up. And I said, have no fear, right? With the 3.0 GPA, almost nobody's going to care about what that trend looks like. 3.8. 3.0 G GPA. No, 3.8. 3.8. That's what I'm saying. Yes. 3.8. You're it's saying 3.0. 3.8. <laughs> with, with a 3.8 GPA. Yes. 3.8. 3.8. <laughs> 3.8 GPA. Um, nobody's gonna care. <laughs> if you have a 3.3, then we hope that you have some some uh, some trends there. Right. And just a reminder, I've got a little ticker at the bottom. Mapped Pro, 750 a month. If you buy a year, there's a free trial. Go enter your courses, enter your activities, and we will help you. We will give you that feedback. You just message us through the um, advising chat tab. 
but mapped to calculate GPA is free. Yes. Forever. Yeah. And lots of other cool things in math. Mm-hmm. I took a year off of college to join Air Force Reserves, currently in tech school. I'm already planning on doing the HPSP program. Should I put my military story in my application essay? Thank you. Courtney. Why, why do you want to be a doctor is generally what we say for right. the personal yeah. statement. Yeah, I was going to say, um, how how does it relate to your wife physician, because you're still answering the same question. If it is part of that story, part of that journey, it um, you know provides some context. Then I would say, yeah, you can include it. Um, you may, you know it'll likely be included in your activity section as well, which also has a description. Um, but our our, com- our common answer it depends <laughs> um it, it, you still need to answer the same question so yeah okay my, to have my, it in there but you know yeah. my assumption is there's there's a lot of what i want to do as a physician in terms mm-hmm. of the patient population i want to serve yeah. um which is a different question than why do you want to be a physician so uh it'll obviously go in the activity section yeah, and we we worked with a lot of HPSP students, and um, you know, I we, was one. We, uh, yeah, we understand the military route, either you know prior to school or if you join during school. Mm-hmm. So it's common. It, it's certainly not frowned upon. It's just you still want to answer the proper question. Yep. Uh, also, um, if you're applying Texas, they have a military essay. Um, the other applications have talked to us about dishonorable discharge, but oh, Texas yeah. has a, Hey, do you have a military background you want to share? So yeah. Room for it there. Good question, Abdi. Mm-hmm. And thank you for your service. I was just thinking that. All right. Anita, my science GPA recently dropped to a 2.8 as I am a transfer student from a community college to university. Do I still have hopes of getting into med school with a gap year? Rachel. Anita, the gap year <laughs> is not going to fix your GPA. What I want to know is what are you doing with the gap year? Um, so this goes back to what we were just saying about grades. It isn't just about the number. And especially as med schools start to pull out of rankings, it'll be even less about the numbers. The number is the med school's methodology for assessing your ability to handle sustained academic river in upper level challenging sciences. So if your science GPA recently dropped to 2.8, that makes me feel like maybe your science GPA was higher and is going down. And that is not gonna inspire confidence. Right. Because, you know, if you take biochemistry at a college, it's probably a 15 week experience. And in med school, it might be two weeks. Um, So the rigor is there and the speed is insane. Um, And they want to know that you're ready to step up how hard school is and your ability to manage it. So, again, it's not just about the number. I don't want you to give up hope. But when you say gap year, I think, well, gap year is neutral. That could be good or bad. It depends on what you do. It sounds like what you need to do is take a hard look at what happened with that transfer from community college to university. Ask yourself, did I take too many classes at once? Did you use all the things that come with your tuition? You know, office hours with professors, meeting with TAs, 
oftentimes there's like a science lab or a study lab. Like, are you using every bit of resource that's available at your school? And then also free things like YouTube and Khan. Are you talking to your friends and family about how you manage your life to make sure there's space to do the schoolwork? And when you've done all that reflection, then go start taking some more science classes and prove to yourself and to med schools that you can do better. So don't give up hope, but you have work to do. Yep. yep. Chanel, as a non-trad who was a stay-at-home mom and part-time student to obtain prereqs not required to my undergrad degree in geology that I obtained 10 years ago, can I just get three LORs from re recent profs? So we, we had a uh, LOR question earlier. They are profs from community college. The rest of this question, or do I need profs from my university days to write my LORs? Uh, or do I need LORs from my old employer from seven years ago? Uh, Chanel, uh, we had a similar question earlier. You need letters of recommendations that meet the requirements from each of the medical schools. Each medical school publishes their own requirements in terms of what they want and what they're looking for. Um, the age uh, of your letters is not necessarily an important thing in terms of when you um, worked with those professors or had classes. Community college letters of rec are, are fine. Um, so just got to make sure you meet the requirements of each of the medical schools that you're applying to. Mm -hmm. And check out my LORs, which is the new feature inside of Mapped uh, mm -hmm. as a Mapped Pro member to uh, request, collect, and store, and then later transmit to the, the medical school applications and PA school applications and all of the applications in the future. Um, so check it out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Fun, what should one do if they are unsuccessful this cycle? One. No, no fun. Speaking for a friend. Asking <laughs> for a friend. Yeah. I'm a friend. <laughs> Courtney, they didn't get in this cycle. Just give up. Go pick another career. Never it's never gonna happen, right? Hopefully not. Um, you know, I think there's some time for reflection, right? Being honest with yourself, really looking at, you know, was it a timing issue? Was it something in your application? Was it you were qualified and, you know, it just wasn't your year. So I think reflection needs to happen, taking advantage of advising appointments and, and things like that and continue on this path. Um, you know, everybody often says it is a marathon. Sometimes, you know, you end up with a couple of additional years at the front end, but in the long scheme of things, all you're doing is hopefully making yourself a better student, um, somebody who is going in with more experience, more understanding of patient base and yourself. And in the long scheme of things, it'll be okay. Um, but, you know, reflection and, and, you know, kind of being honest with yourself on things that can be improved is always helpful. You don't just want to become stagnant and, and keep going forward with the same thing. Sometimes, you know, there's some adjustments that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And also give yourself a little bit of grace and, and take a little mental health check too. Um, sometimes failures are, are disappointing and they're rough and it is okay to feel your feelings 
and to do something you enjoy outside of this, kind of regroup and get back at it. Um, we're seeing more and more and more that it is taking a couple of cycles for people to get in and, you know, and maybe that's just because stronger applicants, maybe it's because they built the rapport and they strengthen their application, you know, for whatever reason. And it's just, it's just purely competitive, right? If I have 6,000 applications and I can seat 162 people, that's really difficult, even if every single one of them is qualified, it's just not going to happen. So reflection, take advantage of advising, check in with yourself, check in on the application and, you know, keep at it. It's, it may take just a couple extra years on the front end. Still, still same result at the end. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, maybe a perfect opportunity, Kevin, to work one-on-one with one of the advisors um, with a single session, mm-hmm. advising session where you come with your application and, and we poke and prod it. Uh, yep. Basically a private application renovation session with one of us. Just go to yeah. medicalschoolhq.net and uh, click on the advising tab for that. I've been doing quite a few of those this week where it's like, okay, I'm waitlisted or I'm, I'm still waiting on a couple of things. I'm not quite sure, but I don't just want to be stagnant. So, yeah. you know, in kind of prepping and, and strengthening my application and potentially having to do this again, what can I be doing now? Can you take a look at what I sent in? Is there anything you can identify? Are there any red flags? What are your thoughts on it? And so we just, you know, we scroll through all of the pages, we talk it out, we look over the personal statement, we look over the courses um, and, and just dig through it, right? And and some people even sent me some of their secondary prompts so I can see, you know, if writing was a bit off in any of those, if everything looks good to go, we look at what schools they apply to and talk that out. So yeah, I mean, we, we really get into the weeds, but you, you have our expertise and we'll, we'll go through page by page with you, you know, quickly to see um, or help you strategize or help you identify areas that may be high yield to kind of spend some more time in. So. Do you think, uh, Courtney, do you, do you think, is, is there an easy, uh, I was seeing this argument on Reddit uh, a couple weeks ago. Is there an easy assumption that one can make? I, I like how it's like stair step up. An easy assumption to make if you look at an algorithm of, okay, I applied to medical school. I didn't get any interviews. Therefore, that must be something in my application where no school wants to even talk to me. Versus I applied to... Th- 20 or 30 schools, I got five interviews and I was rejected or waitlisted at all of them. Is it an easy assumption to say, I probably need to work on my interview skills? If, if you're the latter, I mean, yeah, potentially, right? You, you made it past a certain hurdle um, or at least it seems as such because we, we, we hold our, our interview slots, <laughs> um, you know, they're very precious to us and, and there's not many of them to go around. So, yes, but sometimes, you know, having sat in on plenty of selection committee meetings, sometimes it ends up being things combined, right, where it's just, you know, maybe this in the application, we just needed a bit more information on it could have gone either way, but you know, they're feeling one way or the other. And so 
it can't, it's not usually a hundred percent that way, but yeah, if, if you don't get any interview invites and you, you cast a wide net, you were strategic, but methodical about it, you were on time. Yeah. There, I think you can think that maybe it was something in your secondaries. Maybe it was something in your master application. Um, yeah. And, and you're probably not off. Yeah. You know? I, 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 when you said that, like we keep, we keep interview invites. Our precious. precious. (laughs) I I want a meme of my precious with an interview uh, slot. (laughs) Yeah. It's not Oprah saying you get an interview, you get an interview, everybody gets an interview. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, you get 400, you can give out for the 6,000 that came in. So, you know, whenever I would talk to, you know, groups of deans or presidents or things like that. They're like, wow, great. Or boards, you know, wow, this many applications. That's so wonderful. I'm like, yeah, I can get that number (laughs) of 6,000 down to 600 like this, like this, you know, and if you do this one thing, that'll take away 400 applicants from me, you know, like there's so many moving parts and, um, and that number shrinks really quickly. And that's, and a lot of it comes from just our ability to do interviews with faculty time, just with resources and, and with what we know will fill the class and, and have a couple of, of students we feel comfortable admitting if, if the space opens up. So yeah. very tough, very, very tough. Is there a standard number, do you think, of like, okay, I have 100 seats, I need to interview 300 people? Is it like a three to one, four to one? What is that number, do you know? Sure. It's going to be different for each school and kind of what they've seen historically for their turnover. You know, if, if you're, you know, I don't know, probably one of the, the high ranking, not high ranking, I would say just a school in California, let's say. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of in-state residents, a lot of really qualified individuals, a lot of opportunity there. It's unlikely that you're going to have a four to one ratio, right? Where you're going to have to fill a seat four times. If you're yeah. a newer institution. Me- meaning, meaning the people that you accept are going to take that acceptance and actually matriculate. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so each school is going to be a little bit different, but I can tell you that each school kind of knows what they're looking at. And if there's high yeah. fluctuations in that number um, to know then how many they need to interview with the potential of saying, you know, there's probably some of those that we're not going to feel are a good fit, or maybe they don't, you know, they're not going to accept our offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so to fill the class, potentially fill it again, halfway, fill it again, fully fill it again, a couple times. And yeah. then, you know, yeah. And, and I love that kind of that's not super behind the scenes that's anyone who knows anything about that that kind of process there's always some sort of extra number of people that schools are accepting knowing that that one student may get four acceptances and and that one acceptance at those three other schools are actually going to not be true acceptances and matriculations And so you're constantly, as you said, you're, you're accepting for that same seat over and over again. And I think that just kind of goes back to what we talk about all the time is, is schools are looking at so much more than just do they have the stats necessary? Do they have the stats? Do they have the activities? Are they going to be a good fit at our school in general as part of the community? And 
they're they're asking themselves, do we really think that this student, if we accept them, will come? Mm-hmm. It's, and, it's a lot of work admissions committees are doing. Yeah. Well, and I also, I found myself very often saying like, that's not for you to decide. If mm-hmm. they designated us, they wanted us to yeah. give them a fair and equitable shot. And, and we should assume that, yes, they yeah. want to go here. They sent us their application. They filled out the secondary. They did an interview off the table. That's yeah. their decision. Um, and so it's sometimes reminders and prompts and things like that. But yeah, those conversations happen and, and we try to keep it open and fair. But yes, we're looking at a lot yeah. and a lot of moving. <laughs> and and the updated traffic rules as of a couple of years ago, I don't know what the, the Comus mm-hmm. traffic rules specifically are, but the AAMC used to, the schools would go, okay, we want to accept Sally. Uh, let's go look to see where else Sally was accepted. Oh, they're accepted at these other three schools. She probably won't come to us, so we're not going to accept her. Um, yeah, and, and the lawyers got a hold of that, and they're like, "Yeah, you keep that. You can't do that." <laughs> yeah, that's not fair. It's not yeah. fair to the student. They should be the ones to make that decision ultimately yeah. where they want to go. And sometimes it takes a couple of touches with the school for them to solidify that. Um, mm-hmm. We do. We. They do get a multiple acceptance list that is released on the DO side where if I have somebody with a paid seat deposit that accepted and they accepted at other schools, um, I think that comes out May, um, March or May. I can't remember now. Um, That's when we can identify it and say, okay, you need to pick between these five, but But that's after that. Yeah, Yeah. Prior to that. You know, you that know. information is private and that's your decision. Yeah. Cool. All right. Good conversation. Love it. Love it. All right. Jean St. Pierre, I am planning on taking the MCAT no later than March 2024 so I can apply by June of 2024. Remember, you can submit your application without an MCAT score. The one does not have to. Um, specifically limit the other when should i start prepping i'm debating between blueprint and kaplan i need your opinions plus advice rachel our mcat test prep expert it is i yeah jean pierre i love this question i love that you're planning ahead i love that you've heard me when i say no later than march of the year you apply and because you're planning ahead it's possible for you um MCAT prep can be three months, it can be six months. Um, One of the most common mistakes I see pre-meds make is only allowing two months and then having to postpone. So it really seems like, I mean, there are people who can do it in two. I've seen some wacko, brilliant weirdos who did it in six weeks. Most people need 12 to 14 weeks. But that assumes making it one of your primary activities. So I don't know you, I don't know what the rest of your life looks like. If you have a full-time job or if you're managing a part-time job and school as well as MCAT prep, if you have people in your life who depend on you, so you're, you know, you're, you're responsible for the rent or the mortgage or for the well-being of others, whether that's, you know, parents, grandparents, children, all of those things are going to eat into your time. Um, What I definitely recommend whether or not you buy Blueprint or Kaplan is use the Blueprint free study planner tool. It's amazing. Um, It is free. Um, it gives you access to a bunch of cool free stuff. So they've got a free diagnostic, a free full length, a whole bunch of like free practice questions. I don't know what else is in there because they're always adding amazing stuff to their free bundle all the time. But 
the free study planner tool will ask you things like it kind of takes you through like a, a widget or a wizard of questions. So like what's your target date? How many hours per week? Show me dates you have to black out because of holidays or finals. Or do you want a, a week of cushion in case you're sick? Are there days of the week that you can definitely take practice tests or the days of the week you definitely can't study? It'll kind of put all that together for you and then give you a tentative plan. And I believe the plan assumes using blueprint materials, but it's still pretty evergreen. So you're going to get use out of it whether or not you use Blueprint. And of course, many students use Blueprint plus other resources. It's common for pre-meds to like combine from many places. And I think that they have customization for you to add that stuff in. Um, in terms of choosing between Blueprint and Kaplan, full disclosure, we are partners with Blueprint. So they are our preferred MCAT provider. They're our preferred provider because year after year, students tell us that they think they're the best. Now, all opinions are subjective, and I've been an MCAT prep long enough to know that best isn't um, a concrete thing. Best is best for you. Um, so you should shop around. You should find the, the one that feels right. Um, but with Blueprint, I love that they have tests only. They have a course. They have a um, like an online self-paced course. They have a live online course with lots of robust office hours. Um, they have one-on-one -on -one tutoring. So kind of any any level of need, any level of budget, they're going to have something for you. Good luck. Thomas, if I'm two years out of college by the time I apply this year, graduate in 2021, am I considered a non-trad applicant? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 always, I always wonder why people ask this question. I, I know TMDSAS has a non-trad uh, question, but it's it's really like, do you consider yourself a non-trad? Not do you meet the criteria of a non-traditional applicant? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, whatever you want to say, Thomas, you can identify however you want to identify. <laughs> yeah. We're progressive here. <laughs> Um, I think we probably only have time for one or maybe two more. We have um, so many questions. Too. Yeah. Alexis, can you pick the one that you just start at the bottom from Allison? Because that's we haven't answered a topic like this in a while. It's pretty, pretty deep. This is a, a great yeah. session, my friends. I, ho I yeah. hope you come every week and hang out with us. Yeah. We're, we're here every week, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. So Allison asks, I experienced a very negative life event that was a large part of my decision to being a physician. How do we include a negative experience without sounding too negative? Or should I just leave it out? I had a, a great conversation yesterday about this with a student. Courtney, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, I often talk about my, my personal um, messaging to students is avoid negativity. Now, that doesn't mean you can't talk about the experience, but just avoid the negative side of it and talk about other things that that help you lean forward. And, and I, I talk about it from that perspective because – in general, as a human being, human psychology is we want to avoid negative things. We want to avoid personally to feel bad um, or feel anger or whatever. And so my general recommendation is don't try not to elicit those um, emotions in other people as they're reading. What are your thoughts here? I, I think a lot of it is in the wording, right? It, you kind of finesse it and and you need to be thoughtful about how much detail you're including if it's appropriate for um, the, the personal statement and what you're writing about. There 
are oftentimes really challenging things that do draw people to medicine. And so first know that you are not alone. This is, um, is not an uncommon thing. However, your situation is unique. It's okay to include it as long as um, we can see the thought in, um, in just sharing an appropriate amount of detail and then talking about what you learned or the reflection or, or what was gained, what, what silver lining is there, even though something was really challenging, you know, some people may have had really challenging home lives and, and situations when they were younger. I don't need a tremendous amount of detail. Somebody could just say, you know, my, my home life as a child was really tumultuous and, and very challenging. And what I've learned from that is this, or I, you know, I've been able to relate to people. So you kind of, you can share it, just make sure there's a purpose for it, that you're not TMIing, um, and that, you know, overall, you're, you're focusing more on the positive or lessons learned and not just kind of, you know, going off on, on a negative tangent and really oversharing um, where there's going to be concern either for professionalism and, and kind of social awareness knowledge or communication maturity or um, putting more stress on you if, you know, something was kind of recent or something like that. So this is not necessarily the place for that, um, but you don't have to leave it out completely, I would say, if there's a purpose for it. Agreed. This is a tough one, um, and a lot of it is in the wording. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the example I was giving to a student yesterday is like if if my grandmother died uh, from medical neglect and, and just terrible doctors who didn't listen to her and, and do what they needed to do, I could say – the doctors were terrible. They didn't listen to Grammy. Uh, they killed her. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna show the medical be a better doctor. Yeah. How to be a better doctor, right? Yeah. And that's one way that you could word it. Or you could say, grandmother died, and there were there were uh, lots of um, things that I saw that as a physician I would love to improve on. Without throwing anyone under the bus, you could potentially right. say the same thing with different words. Yeah. And and it's just a very different experience for the reader. Yep. Yep. Uh, professionalism issue, right? You know, if yeah. I'm going to put you in a third or fourth year rotation and you're you're already flinging mud and it comes across really negative, really judgmental, really pointed fingers, yeah. um, even if that's exactly what happened and, and you do have some bitterness of it, it does not serve the purpose. Um, and it's just it it does not read well. If that's our first impression of you, it, it just doesn't read well, you know, focus on, on what is good and where yeah. you're at and, and what we're getting, why, why we should bring you in to have you become a physician. And yeah, yeah let me, let me extend it a little bit because again, the, the same conversation that I have with the student, she had this idea. She's super non-trad. She had this idea that her essay and her application should be focused on. I'm going to be a good little worker bee. Uh, I'm not going to come in and disrupt things. I, I just, I just want to come in and be part of the establishment and, and not do anything. I'm like, 
you're allowed to be idealistic. <laughs> nobody said yeah. nobody said that you can't come in with these grand ideas of fixing things and improving things and bringing. She had amazing experiences from a, a 20 year career or something or a little less than that uh, career um, doing process improvement things and other mm -hmm. stuff in the corporate world. You're going to add a lot to the class. You don't have to hide who you are mm -hmm. to try to fit into this mold that you think med schools are wanting. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, be 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 careful where you get your information of what you think you have to be with this application. Right. Yeah, we're we're looking to build a cohort that that works well together. That you can learn from each other. Right, diversity comes in in all shapes and forms and you you add value you add depth and and you know you can bring that to the class so yeah and sometimes you know people with hard backgrounds or or challenging events in their life there can be a lot of empathy there can be a lot of dealing with difficult patients and understanding sometimes people that need love are the hardest to love at the time you know there's there's so much that can come from a negative life event um, that can add value. Just stick stick on the positive. Yep. All right, friends, we've come to another end of a pre-med office hours, formerly known as Ask Map, formerly known as Ask the Dean. <laughs> uh, we are here every Wednesday, most Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. Remember, with a Mapped Pro account, Mapped is, is free forever, but with the Pro account, you get access to our new My LORs, as well as chat advising with our uh, advising team. Yes, Courtney? Um, you should mention that we opened a new pathway. Yes, we have a lot the... of these viewers may mm. really that. Yep. We, we have a new advising pathway called the pre-med pathway. If you are first year, second year, um, and you want to, you want us to be your pre-med advisor and meet with us uh, once or twice a semester, whatever that may be, go to premedpathway.com and check out those advising options. Yeah, um, very popular demand. Y'all have been asking for it. We delivered. <laughs> Yeah, yes, yes. we can start as early as you want or as late as you want. Maybe you're not ready to apply, but you need some guidance along the way. We are excited to get our hands in there and give you some advice. So we're not reaching the end point and saying like, "Ooh, two years ago, you should have done this. Like, let's yep. get things in order. Yep, yep. And then Mapped Pro gives you the chat advising kind of version of that. You don't meet with us on Zoom, um, but you can you can chat with us inside of Mapped. So and for those that didn't get their questions answered, we're always available in Map Chat. Mm -hmm. So use Mapped. Ask the advisors in there. We're always available. I know some people were sad that they didn't get their their questions yeah. answered, but we are still available, and we're available next week. So well, here also, next week, Friday, I'll, be on, right? I'll be on Instagram on Friday with our good friends from Blueprints. So if you have MCAT specific questions, it won't just be MCAT, but get Do we have a workshop yeah. tomorrow too? We're we busy. Do. We are busy. We're busy. We give a lot of free stuff away. So if you didn't get your help, <laughs> a lot of stuff. there's many more chances. Premedworkshop.com yeah. is the place to go for our workshop tomorrow about personal statements. Mm -hmm. I am also co-hosting a workshop with Blueprint today. Um, what is that one called? You guys can go check it out at uh, blueprintmcat.events. Um, the phases of your MCAT prep called game plan Ooh. that's at 5 p.m eastern i like that right. so lots 
Nope, just blueprint prep dot events. Dot events. Ah, sorry, friends. That's all right. <laughs> Close enough. Google blueprint MCAT events. You'll find it. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, friends. Have a wonderful week. This is Dr. Gray again closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.